And I'm simply going to read in your hearing this morning the first three verses. Romans 12, beginning in verse 1. I appeal to you therefore, and I'm reading from the ESV, I appeal to you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Or like the old King James says, reasonable service. This is actually a priestly sort of word. This is, you know, the priests had a, had a service that they did. They had a work they did. This is the idea. That's why there's, there's variations in the, in the translation here. Do not be conformed to this world. There is an and there. There is a conjunction in the original. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, just very briefly, let me show you something. If you write in your Bible, you don't have to write this, but it's worth writing. I write in mine. Some of you have seen it. I mean, it gets ridiculous in some places. You almost need a new Bible just to go back and start from scratch to realize what's going on. But in, in Romans 12.1 and Romans 12.2, you have a key connecting word. You know what it is? It's the only major word that's repeated in both verses 1 and verses 2. It's the word acceptable. Now let me tell you something. The Apostle Paul is appealing by all the mercies he's laid forth in the first 11 chapters of this book. All those mercies. Everything working out for your good. Justification, propitiation, reconciliation. You've got peace. You've got the love of God. God is for you. You've got the Spirit of God. You're dead to sin. You're dead to the law. You basically have, when it comes to justification, when it comes to your very salvation, the peace that God gives you, the power that's unleashed in the Gospel, all these things, nothing can, on earth or in heaven in any time can separate you. If you're truly child, God separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. You've got God's compassion. You've got God's grace, God's mercy, poured out on your behalf, your vessels of mercy. And what Paul does is he takes this, your vessels of mercy, you're literally filled up with mercy. And he says, now I appeal to this, brethren, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Well, let me tell you what presenting yourself as a living sacrifice is to God. It is acceptable. That's what he says in verse 1. It's acceptable. Now, I told you before, the acceptable here in the original is not like we use acceptable, where, well, it just barely gets by. It's the word well-pleasing. Now, when you come to verse 2, Paul carries that same... It's the same word in the original. He carries it forward to the second verse. Well, why? What's, what's that so important? What do I need to stress here? Well, because he's not starting up a new thought in verse 2. He's not going on to develop some other new thing here. He's carrying out now how it is that you live a life of living sacrifice. How do you? Well, he says, do not be conformed to this world. You need to be renewed in the mind. Transformed by the renewal of your mind. And again, he goes back to that word acceptable. You need to be 
testing and discerning what God's will is. What is acceptable? What is that perfect will of God? Because listen, when you get God's will all figured out, that's how you figure out how to be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice is somebody who's being placed on that altar over and over and over and over. And basically, what it is to be placed on the altar of God is living your life to the will of God. Living your life according to the will of God. And you can't live according to the will of God unless you discern what that will is. And so he says, don't be conformed to the world. Because the world's got all sorts of mindsets. And if you're thinking like the world, you're not going to be doing the will of God. And we talked about many of the mindsets of the world. And there are many. But they have all sorts of ways of thinking that tend to impact you and me. And he says, don't think like that. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And what I did, I spent some time looking at 2 Corinthians 3.18 because Paul more fully develops the theology of transformation over there. And he tells us to basically beholding the glory of the Lord. We, we become transformed degree by degree into that same image. And I, what I was emphasizing there is, look, the way you're transformed by the renewal of your mind is to set your gaze upon Christ. It's faith, folks, that we actually see this transformational process take place in our life. Okay, now I'm going to jump to verse 3. Look, you know what Paul did in, in verse 2? He was, he was general. Don't be, tra- don't be conformed to the world, generally. Rather, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I mean, he's giving some overarching principles, but you know in verse 3, he isolates this. He becomes more specific. Notice what he says there. By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Before he said you need to be renewed by the transform or you need to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And here he tells us very specifically some things that he wants going on in your mind. Brethren, I'm going to just really tag on some things that Matt said in the Sunday school. Look, there is nothing that happens in this church that is wrong, that is bad, that causes division, that creates difficulties and problems before people, except from people who think too highly of themselves. Lay it down. There's not a problem in the Christian life that doesn't come to pass from thinking too highly of yourself. Brethren, in heaven, this is going to be perfect. We are all... Have you ever read Jonathan Edwards on heaven, something like the community of love? He called it something like that. And he, he just he expresses there how... If you're exalted more than me, then your, exalt, your exaltation more than me is only going to compound my joy all the more. And so when I see you exalted, all of a sudden, bang, my joy is compounded because of your exaltation. And if you're the one exalted, well, obviously that's going to compound your joy. And he says, he points out it's going to compound your humility. Which when you see them lifted up and you see their humility compounded, then your joy is all the more. And it's just... But that's the way it works there because there's no jealousy, there's no pride, there's no envy, there's none of this that we are plagued with here. Brethren, problems happen all the time in churches. And I'll tell you this, 
Oh, mark my words. If we truly accomplish those words of Jim Elliot, died in Ecuador in the 50s, in his journals he wrote, God, make me or make us dangerous. I'll tell you this, the more we make ourselves dangerous in this world, the more we seek to reach out through the Gospel, the more we support missions, the more we seek to just play with our doctrines of grace in these four little walls here and just sharpen and hone our little Calvinism, I tell you what, when you take those truths, you take that Gospel, you take that sovereignty, and you walk as one who believes that God is sovereign, and you walk as one that believes that God answers prayer, and you walk like that, and you take the Gospel forth as one who believes that the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation, I tell you what, you suddenly become dangerous. And the devil will rise up, and he's going to come against us. He already has, folks. In our eight years, he's come against us. And he will continue, and he will in the future. And I'll tell you what he comes looking for every single time. He comes looking for the cracks in the foundation. And you know where they are? They're right here. Right here, every single time. There is no crack in the foundation of this church, but you can't find in Romans 12.3. Guarantee it. He comes feeling. It's like this floor. You come feel, there's, there's these cracks that run through the floor here. Sometimes in a wall. Mark has his in good repair, but the devil, I'm telling you, he's going to come along and he's going to start feeling. He's going to start feeling and if he can get a little toehold in there, if he can get his fingers in there, he's going to start tearing at that thing and seeking to cause a deeper gash and a fissure in that foundation. And you know where it comes? Every time. He's going to make people, press people in an area where they think too highly of themselves and He will plunge in right at that point and He will, he will destroy some. I do not doubt it. Some will make shipwreck of the faith through this. Brethren, you know what the world out there? The world is constantly pushing. I mean, there's a pressure. I, I was watching some, some uh, uh, deep sea animal deal and, uh, it, it, at one time. And I, I remember, you know, they said that down there about 11,000 feet under the ocean surface, you got 4,000 pounds per square inch of pressure. And, and somebody asked, well, you know, don't, don't things just implode down there? Well, if you were down there, you would. But God has made certain creatures down there that that doesn't happen. But I'll tell you, you guys ever gone down real deep in the water? I mean, as far down in a lake or something as you can swim? I grew up in Michigan. We had lots of lakes. And so one of the things we'd like to do is see how far we could go down and if guys could actually bring up mud from the bottom of the lake or whatever. I'll tell you, you get way down in there, even you go down just sink around at the bottom of the swimming pool. You start to get pressure. Your ears start to push in. I tell you, it is just like that in this world. There is a pressure all the time, pushing, pushing. Let me tell you something. I, I saw this. You guys will think it's funny. I kind of think it's funny too, but it, there's something in this that isn't funny. I saw this commercial. You guys, some of you probably know what I'm talking about. 
two guys, right? They got their truck. One guy's got a, I, I don't remember the exact thing. I think the one guy had a, I think it was a Chevy commercial. One guy's got a Chevy truck. The other guy's got a Ford. The guy with the Ford, he comes out and he's got this super deep voice. All right. He's talking to the other guy and then the, then the Chevy guy starts asking him questions about the performance, about the gas mileage. And every time the Ford guy would kind of stumble over his answers and answer, his voice kept going higher and higher until it was like a chipmunk. And then, you know, the guy driving the Chevy, he's like got this sly look of victory and, you know, climbs all proud in his truck and drives off. You say, well, okay, what's that all about? I'll tell you what it's about. This world's advertising is aimed at making you want to feel superior you want to feel like you've got an edge over other people? You know what the Scripture says? Matt alluded to it. I alluded to it last week. We are not to just be consumed with our own things. This is what Philippians chapter 2 says. Not just consumed with your own things, but with the things of others. But there's this pressure. There's this pressure. Always, we want to get the best over others. You, you know, I mean, the, the, the whole advertising thing. I was just trying to think. I don't, I, you know, when I was a kid, I, I watched a lot. of. I was trying to think back to, okay, what what... What was the advertising? What, you know, and typically you've got this guy, you know, whatever it is, if it's cell phone service, well, one guy, he's got, you know, the whole massive crowd of people that walk behind him and they're all there and all the technicians versus the other guy that's got like two. And it's always that kind of thing. It's always the one that's superior over the other. It's always, it's always, you know, this guy's got the girl because he's got the car. And that guy over there, he doesn't. He's just standing there with his mouth hanging open because he's driving the wrong kind of car. But that's the way the world is. And it pushes us. It's constantly pressing on us. Not to be humble, but to be lifted up. I mean, everything about sports today. I mean, you look at it. I believe that there was a day when guys played on sports teams they would play there their entire lives. You know why they don't anymore? Because there's no camaraderie. There's no allegiance anymore. Everybody's out for themselves. And there was a day when men would go to arms to defend this country and defend the liberties of others. But we have so ingrained in this society with this mindset to think more highly of yourself. Think more highly. You're superior. Others are lower. You need to look down at others. Others aren't as gifted. Others aren't as endowed. You are it. And everything in this society... I mean... The message just coming through. You know it. Disney. It's not look to God. It's not look to Christ. It's trust yourself. Trust your own heart. That's basically what kids are bombarded with. It's always exalting self. Exalting self. Lifting up. The world pummels us with these kind of mindsets. Brethren, let me tell you something. You're never going to be a living sacrifice with that kind of mindset. Never. And that's what Paul's calling us to. We've got to lay aside these high, these exalted. And, and brethren, you know what? One thing that makes it so hard to talk about is because what we're really talking about is pride. But you know the problem with pride? The problem with pride is it's got high and lofty views of self. But when you've got a high and lofty view of self, when I start talking about a message like this, you immediately don't think it applies to you. You think it applies to somebody else. And one of the things about pride is it's blind. And of course, you see why it's blind, right? Because the high opinion you have of yourself that is too high, you don't realize is too high for the very reason that you've got an opinion of yourself. And so, 
it, it is one of the most difficult sins to find out. And yet it lies at the root of every single sin. It really is. This self-exalting spirit. Amy Carmichael said, those who think too much of themselves don't think enough. And of course, you've got to know Spurgeon had something to say about it. He said, when we think worse and worse of ourselves, we're getting nearer and nearer the truth. You know what pride is? It's a lie. Now listen to how Paul says it. He says, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. You see what he's referring to here? There is a way that you ought to think about yourselves. And don't think about yourselves more highly than how you ought. In other words, you need to think about yourself according to truth. Not according to the wiles of your imagination, but according to truth. I'll tell you this, if Satan creeps in, and all of us were thinking about ourselves according to truth, you know what? He doesn't have much of a toehold here. Where he's going to get us is when we begin to think with very lofty views of ourselves. Because that's where pride will kick in. You've been wronged. How dare them? I've got a grudge again. I have a right to be angry. I have a right to be bitter. I have a right to be jealous. They've got something I want. Satan comes along and he says, you do have a right to it. That's what the world's saying. The world says it. Go ahead, splurge. Why? You deserve it. You see, you got this mindset. The world's just coming at you. You deserve it. Brethren, let, let's, let's get real practical. You want some dead giveaways? Dead giveaways. You're thinking too highly of yourselves. All right. Let's get in a little group. Got four of us. We're standing there and, you know, there's some conversation going. But you walk away from the conversation. You know what you... One guy consumed about 99%. He doesn't hardly give anybody else any place to talk at all. You know what the Scriptures say about the person who talks too much? What is it? The old King James says, in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. I'll tell you, somebody who talks all the time, they won't keep their mouth shut and they won't listen. I'll tell you what, the Bible talks about the fool. The fool's lips are always... And the wise man does a whole lot of listening. The fool is constantly shooting the mouth off. You know why? Because they think themselves important. They think that what they have to say is important and what other people have to say isn't. And, and you know, I'll tell you very closely to this, is the person that's always giving their opinion who is an ass. Oh, folks, if that's you, and look, hey, I don't artistically design these sermons so that they don't hit me. I mean, I'm going to get taken out by some of these. So just understand, I didn't just design them for certain of you select individuals in here. I realize, brothers, sisters, we all have a tendency to think too highly of ourselves. Have you ever noticed there isn't a single text in all the Bible that says don't think too low of yourself? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, maybe you guys know of one that I'm not thinking of. Isn't that peculiar that we don't need such a text? It's not there. The person who's always interrupting, 
A person who answers roughly. You know why somebody answers roughly? The proverb says that the rich answer the poor roughly. You know why they do that? They think they're superior. Well, you're poor. Who in the world are you? You're just some low-life scum. I mean, you work for me. You're a peasant. You work my farm. You're my servant. I talk down to you. Brethren, one of the things we're going to get with in Romans 12 is that we need to associate with the lowly. And I'll tell you, you're never going to reach the lowly until you begin to reflect aspects of the character of Christ. You know how Christ dealt with the lowly? I mean, we heard about it today in the Bible reading. It says Christ was touching them. He's laying His hand on them. He had a leper come up to Him and He laid His hand on them. He wasn't. You know what? Christ had the power to heal lepers from 100 yards away. They were unclean. But He wouldn't do that. He'd come right up and He'd put His hand on them. Always talking about self. You know what? One of the giveaways, somebody is really quite consumed with themselves and probably puffed in the head way too much. When they pray, they come into corporate... Look, I realize people have lots of personal things to pray about. But when people come into the prayer meetings and all they do, or primarily what they do in a public corporate prayer meeting is pray about themselves, that person is pretty stuck on themselves. They are not concerning themselves with the affairs of other people and they are not seeking to carry the burdens of others. They are consumed with their own burdens. They are consumed with their own stuff, their own affairs. That is a person that is overly thinking on themselves. Now listen, brethren, you and I can't look into each other's heads. But we can tell by each other's actions what's going on in the head. You're a dead giveaway. The thing about all this is, folks, we can't hide this in a closet somewhere. You and I are who we are, and we demonstrate it all the time. And your actions and your words give you away. You give your opinions all the time where they're not asked for, you're a dead giveaway. You, do, you get in a conversation and you want to be heard, you want to be right, you want to endless talk... It, I mean, my wife and I, we know somebody. There, there is a certain professing Christian lady. I mean, I have no reason to doubt that she's, she's a Christian at all. But you get around her, it's just guaranteed. You know what she's going to do? She's going to talk to you about her problems the whole time. She doesn't care how you're doing. You walk up, don't dare ask her how she's doing. Because it's not, you know how some of us have a problem with, well, maybe I wasn't totally honest. You know, we say, well, we're doing pretty good. Or, yeah, we're doing all right. We're, we're doing good. And then we walk away and we think, well, maybe we weren't doing so good. But with this lady, it's like, if you ask her, oh, I'm so bad, and this hurts, and that's wrong, and it's like, oh, what did I just get? Because she's not going to stop. Folks, that is, a, that is a picture of somebody just absolutely whose mind is always on themselves. You see, brethren, what... what Christ saved us to be and all this fruit and all this living sacrifice are those who pour themselves out for others. Those who are loving their neighbors as themselves. Those who are committing themselves to God. Living a life like Christ. I'll tell you, some t- and there, are, there are ways that this overconsumption with thinking about self show itself that sometimes it's, it's cloaked a little bit. But... Obviously, pouting. I mean, that's the, people that pout, well, they want their way. They think their way is the way. They're unteachable. Did you guys ever, they ever, ever hear about some Pharisees in, in John chapter 9? You got a blind guy. Christ 
heal them. He can see. They bring Him in and, and sit Him before the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are like, we want to know how this happened. And He said, all I know is this. Whereas I couldn't see before, now I can. And that guy Jesus did it. And they said, well, tell us about it again. And He says, why? Well, you know, would you be one of their followers? And you know what they said? You're going to all together in sin. And will you tell us? Like, as though what? They weren't? They cast Him out. Unteachable. Totally unteachable. That's, that's the way it is. You know what? People who talk all the time only want to give you their opinion and are unteachable. Brethren, those are people that are just so... Those are, those are the people that Satan's going to go after. I guarantee it, folks. Impatient, irritable... Obviously, we heard something about jealousy and envy. You know what? You become jealous of somebody when you think you deserve something that they have. You really want it. You, and, and you know that envy, you don't want them to have it. And you want to crush them down? You want to exalt yourself? I'll tell you, another thing, we see this in Matthew 7. What is it? You got a, you got a little sliver in your neighbor's eye you're trying to get out for him, And uh, Matthew tells us, Get that beam out of your own eye. You know, you know one of the things with people who are really consumed with selves? Put the same sin in another person that they're guilty of themselves. And guess what happens? Oh, they see it clearly in the other person. Very clearly. I mean, they, they suddenly become the sin surgeon. You know, they got it all figured out. But the same thing in themselves is a small thing. Like, people that are stuck on themselves, thinking about themselves, have real difficulties hearing other people receive praise and applause. They're often thinking life is unfair. They're often self-absorbed with senses of failure. They can't speak openly about their fault. Look, I'll tell you this. You get, you, sometimes this is just false humility, folks. If a person can tell you about their fault, but let somebody else say it. Let somebody else just simply say what they said. You know, you got the guy and he's acting all humble and, oh, I got this problem. But then somebody else comes along and says, oh, they got that problem. And all of a sudden, man, the guy's just all bent out of shape now. And that's the same thing. Well, anyways, we can go on there. That's, Brethren, you know what it says? Don't think too highly of yourselves, but rather what? Think of yourself with sober judgment. Well, just in the English, you know what that? Think of yourself with sobriety. It means, in other words, when you look in the mirror, don't be a drunken idiot in the way you assess yourself. That's, that's how it comes. I mean, that's obviously the ob opposite of sober is drunk. Don't be drunk. But here's the thing. In the original, the word carries the idea of sanity. It carries the idea of mental health. It carries the idea of being ones in their right mind. You know what it... You know what the opposite is? The Freeburg lexicon says that the opposite of this word used here in 12.3 is insanity. 
In other words, when you think too highly of yourselves, you are thinking out of your mind. You are insane. That's, that's really what's being said. And Paul says, do not be insane when you think of yourselves. Now look, how should we think of ourselves? I'll tell you one verse more than any other, and I'm going to read it to you from the old King James because this is the way we used to sing it and this is the way I memorized it. This text and ones like it should ring through our head all the time. And I'll tell you, coming back to the Gospel over and over and again will help do this. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Now you think about that. Listen! There are many of you in this room that have committed far worse sins than some who are in hell right now burning for those sins. Because there are people that have lived a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, who died without Christ. And though you have Him, they did not commit the degree or the number of sins. There are children that have died in their sin. Some of you have multiplied their sin a thousandfold. And they're perishing. And every single time you think too highly of yourselves, you're thinking you deserve something good. You're thinking you have rights. You know what you have a right to? Do you know what you deserve? The only thing that stands between any of us in this room and the pit of hell is mercy. That's it. There's nothing else standing there. Look, think with me a second. And we lose perspective of it. Oh, well, I'm hurt. Okay? What happened? That sister wronged me and I just can't forgive her. Let me tell you something. If I could plunge down into the depths of the pit of hell right now, that holding tank of punishment, and I could bring up one of those just blazoned eyes, madmen out of the fires of that hell, and stand him right here, and have authority from God to now pardon him, and say, you're out! You're done! You now have eternal life! Oh, but by the way, sister so-and-so over there just said something wrong about you. You're going to be bitter about that? What is that to me? I'm out of hell! I mean, that's the idea, folks. It's of the Lord's mercies. You're not consumed. If you're not in hell right now, what in the world are you thinking of yourself? What do you deserve? And if you have anything more than you deserve, brethren, we have to think like this. You're insane when you think you have rights when you think you have something owed to you. Now, I realize that in Christ, He has purchased for us, and by faith, we are in covenant relationship. I'm not denying all that. But I'm talking about what you are in and of yourself, outside of Christ. Brethren, and I've just finished up here. I would have you remember something else. Not just it's the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. But I would have you remember this. We claim to be followers of one who said, Learn of me. He said, I am meek and lowly in heart. 
Brethren, I'm afraid that more young people, you that go downtown, you that go visit other churches, you young people that are trying to bring other young people here into the Bible study, listen to me. I'm afraid that sometimes if people are down there on the streets by the Alamo, they might think you're more like the followers of Muhammad or Genghis Khan or something. Brethren, look, I was, I was telling somebody this because of some of the zeal that I've seen. You guys remember that old Martin Luther, black and white. At the end of it, Luther's talking to, to Melanchthon and some of their own guys were breaking the windows out and they come rushing in with all, like the pitchforks and stuff and Luther has to quiet them down and stop them. And when they left, he kind of, in a little bit of smile, said to Melanchthon, you know, God save us from our enemies, but God save us from our friends too. Sometimes I feel like that with, the, with the, some of the zeal. I'm thankful for the zeal. But brethren... We are followers of one who said, Learn of me, I am meek and lowly. Oh, have zeal. But brethren, when people look at us and they don't see in us that lowliness of Christ, but rather they see in us just some fanatical fire that... that I mean, brethren, you know what? A lot of times we're more like James and John when you know they're with Christ and they're, they're going along with Him one day and... Lord, what's the deal with these Samaritans over here? They're sure not treating you right. Why does call fire down from heaven? And Jesus says, He wasn't pleased. He said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Let me tell you something. Just in my own devotional reading this week, you know, I'm, I'm going through Numbers, one of the places that I'm reading. Numbers 31.17. You don't need to... Turn there, but just let me tell you about that chapter. The Midianites. They, they took a thousand people out of each of the twelve tribes and they went and they killed the Midianites. You know what's amazing about that? When they came back, the commanders of those forces said, Moses, we counted our men. We didn't lose one. What was it? It was a thousand out of every one. And so they had twelve thousand men. They went in there against the Midianites. They didn't lose a one. They killed every single man of the Midianites. But they kept the women and they kept the boys and girls. And they came back. Listen to what Moses says. <clears throat> now therefore kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman who has not known man by lying with him. And I imagine those guys, they hauled out their swords, they had little boys, two years old, three years old, four years old, and they slaughtered them. And you know, I read that and I thought, wow. And you know what thought struck me? Jesus Christ never told you, learn of Moses. He said, learn of me. Can you guys picture Jesus Christ slain little Midianite children? I can't. Now look, I'm not saying that what Moses did wasn't under the authority of God. I'm not knocking that at all. And listen, Jesus Christ Himself, there were times when you got little hints 
and little sparks of a coming storm. Don't get me wrong there. There was a distant thunder heard in His words oftentimes. But let me tell you this. Jesus Christ did not come to slay. He came to seek and He came to save. And and, unless you... Don't miss this, folks. Jesus Christ became like us in every respect. Not so that He could just be a faithful high priest for a little season while He was here. He now is that faithful high priest there. Jesus Christ is the same. That one who said, learn of Me, I am meek and lowly in spirit, He is of that spirit right now. Glorified though He be, He is of that same spirit right at the Father's right hand. Now I'm telling you, one day is coming when He's coming to judge. There are rumblings of a distant storm out there on the horizon. But brethren, the storm isn't here yet. And He still presents Himself to sinners in that same light. Come unto Me, you that labor and are heavy laden. I mean, brethren, look at Christ on the cross. Look at His agonies. Do you see one who is lifted up with high thoughts of Himself? Do you see one full of arrogance? Do you see one full of pride? As He hangs up there, as you hear His groaning, brethren, Let me tell you about Jesus. He didn't change because He's gone to the Father's right hand. We heard about it today. Mark 9. He looked on a man He full well knew was rejecting Him. The rich young ruler. And it says He loved Him. You do with that, with your theology, what you want to do. But that's what the Word says. And I'll tell you this. As he is twisted, and the very bowels of his compassions are twisted within him, and he comes across those great spires and pinnacles and glorious buildings and the temple there in the midst of it, and looks out over that glamorous, glorious city, that high city where the king once dwelt and where the very temple of God was, Jerusalem itself. And there He is, and He's being twisted on the inside with such emotions. You tell me, what kind of man was He? What kind? Was He a fire breather? Was He like Elijah called down fire from heaven and then hew all 400? And again, that happened by the authority of God. And I am not knocking that. But what I want you to do is see Christ. He looks out over a city that rejected Him. Did He go up there on the hilltop and call down a curse on them? Brethren, we are called to be followers of that. Not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We are to seek to be lowly. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Think with sober judgment. Learn of Me. I am meek and lowly in spirit. He goes up to the top of that city. He doesn't pronounce a curse. You know what He does? He can't hold back the bowels of His compassion and He weeps weeping over those people who very shortly would nail Him, call for His crucifixion, spit on Him. Look, you know what the thing is about Jesus Christ? He has the right to just blaze in here on a white charger and with fire and sword demand your obedience. But He does not. The very force of persuasion with this Christ is through His meekness, His power, His strength, 
is demonstrated in a lowly forbearance, in a meekness, in a tenderness. And listen, He is that way. Even now. He didn't say, come unto Me, you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come and learn of Me. Well, I'm only going to be like this till I'm out of here and then all this stuff falls apart. He still beckons to men. Come. If you're visiting today, look, we don't call you to come to Allah. We don't call you to come to Muhammad. We're not going to put any blunt knife to your neck and compel. That's not the way with Christ. We're not like the followers of Muhammad. We don't do it by the sword. We don't do it by a dull knife on the neck. We don't do it by bombs. We're to be the same way. And so often we can be sounding like the sons of thunder, folks. Yes, have zeal. But when we go out there to touch this world, when we go out there to deal with the errors of this world and the wrong ways of this world, we have been called to be an imitator of this One. We have been called to be followers of this Christ. Brethren, hear me. Don't Think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think. Learn of Christ. He is lowly in spirit. Frequently come near the cross. Look at His dying love. I guarantee you, if God will give you ears to hear those groans and to see that love, you will not look up in the face of that Christ on that cross and think to me how haughty, how arrogant, how lifted up, how proud. You will see one hanging there who says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Total meekness. And he is still of the same heart, and he is still of the same mind. And I'll tell you what, when he looked out over that city and he wept over it, his bowels of compassion have not changed today. Sometimes we think of him lifted up, high, glorious, and he is. And at the right hand of God. And we think of him now with such in such a light that sometimes we miss these compassions, this gentleness, this lowliness is still integral in Him. Son of man, yes, He became like us in every respect. In fact, humbled Himself and will continue in a certain lowly fashion to bear humanity through eternity. Even humanity with wounds in it. You look at Him up there on the cross. You look at expressions of that dying love. Do you see a son of thunder dying there? Is that what would come to your mind? Do you feel Him to be one who would cut down children and slice them to pieces as He dies there? Now look, God is a God of judgment and He's a God of wrath, but He didn't send His Son in the world to kill and to mutilate and to maul and to slay. He sent Him into this world to seek and save sinners. And that is the way He expresses Himself unparalleled agonies. He's dying like a slave, like the worst of criminals. Look at him there. And he hung there between heaven and earth, naked, full of shame. Is he proud? Is he arrogant? Is he high? Is he haughty? Do those standing on and watch, that, that centurion as he looks, does he say, oh man, this was, this was a son of Elijah. This was a son of Moses. This was a son of thunder. And this guy is just fueled with fury and fire and That's not what they saw. Brethren, learn of Him. You're dismissed.